I mean, you, especially now, can literally get to anyone. Like that is the benefit of technology and the networks that we're now all plugged into is like you can access people who maybe, uh, you know, a decade ago you would have never been able to access. Um, And I think coupled with knowing, you know, educating yourself and then knowing what you're asking for, those are all the things that make for a successful connection. You're listening to Chats with Kat, where I catch up with my fellow millennials every week to share their journey of self-actualization, overcoming fear, and paving the way for a soul's purpose to shine through. Let's start that right here, right now. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Chats with Kat. I hope you're all doing amazing. Today, I am chatting with the founder and CEO of the one-of-a-kind plant store, The Sill. If you live in New York City or in LA, I am so sure that you've popped into one of her beautiful stores because amongst so much concrete, the greenery of The Sill immediately stands out to anybody walking by. Our combo was truly inspiring for me in many ways as it served as a sign for some of the things that I'm going through in my own personal journey and some of the things that Eliza said really made me feel like I was on the right path. And it's always so refreshing to meet the founder of a household brand because it serves as a reminder that everything we've come to love was an idea conceived by someone out there that's just like you and me, which obviously means that we too are capable of creating something great and that's so reassuring. Throughout our chat, we dove into Eliza's rural upbringing, how the sill was transformed from an idea into a business, staying rooted in out-of-the-box dreams, how Eliza prepared to quit her full-time job to pursue her passion, and so much more. But before we get into our interview, I want to give a shout out to Amanda Spino, Chloe Taylor, Nikki Franco, Chelsea Johnson, Lauren Cedeno, and my dad for being my first patrons on Patreon. I truly appreciate your support and belief in my work. There's no words that I can say to truly explain what this means to me, but to just know that there are people out there who really trust that what I'm trying to do and put out in the world means something is extremely valuable and gives me so much confidence to keep going. So thank you. For those of you looking to tune into exclusive solo episodes, blog posts, and book reviews, head to patreon.com slash Catlantigua to become a member. All right, we're about to jump into this week's show. As always, if there's anything shared that you think someone you love can truly benefit from, press that share button and spread the wisdom. Without any further delay, here is my chat with Eliza. Hi, Eliza. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for sitting down to chat with me today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Um, I've actually purchased a lot from the sill because it was partnered with the wing for a while and that's how yeah. I discovered the sill and I was like okay I really need to talk to the woman who founded this oh, because it was so convenient and it just yeah I've put everybody onto it oh so fun thank yeah you. of course no thank you for following your <laughs> dreams and making it a thing um I wanted to talk about you know your journey and everything but before we get into all of that I want to start off by talking about what your upbringing was like in Massachusetts. Um, What do you remember most about your childhood there? Um, That, we could talk about that all (laughs) for 45 minutes. Um, I grew up in Western Massachusetts uh, in a town called Northampton, um, which interestingly 
I had such a different experience than my husband who is from Boston. Um, I thought I was from Massachusetts until I started meeting people from Boston and mm-hmm. then I felt like I was from a totally different state. Yeah. So Western Massachusetts is very different. Um, it's a little bit more rural. Um, I guess you could say suburban, but kind of rural. Mm-hmm. I definitely passed uh, cow pastures on my way to high school. And it was a small community, um, college town. but uh, So there was some diversity, but not a ton. So I am half Filipino and my father is, um, is a New York Jew. So I'm a Jewish Filipino and, uh, the only other Jewish Filipino was my brother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, you know, kind of stuck out in that sense. And I think maybe always had a sense that, um, you know, we were a little bit different, um, and that I was probably going to feel more comfortable, in a different type of community at at the end of the day. Um, I don't know that I really realized that until like I was thinking about where to go to school for college. But, you know, I think to sum it up, it was a very like small town experience. Um, But I was lucky that our small town had colleges nearby. So that, again, brought in some diversity and kind of opened my eyes to like what else was out there. I think the fact that it was a college town also meant that I'd already sort of had a college town experience. So when it came to choosing a college for myself, I chose NYU because it's kind of the antithesis of your like green quad um, college town. Yeah. So, I mean, that that kind of that's kind of it. I mean, otherwise it was, you know, um, my brother and I and my parents and like very loving, supportive family and was really lucky to be able to um, come to New York and go to school here. Yeah. And how do you think that your upbringing there around so much nature and so much space impacted the way that you connected to nature and plants? Uh, That's a great question, because, in fact, I think that's primarily how I got into starting this business was uh, just this notion that plants and greenery were, in fact, so important to me. Um, Totally took for granted growing up. So um, you can ask my mom. I never helped her in the garden. I never watered any of our houseplants at home, of which there were many, Mm -hmm. um, because I didn't really think about it. It was just kind of part of my environment. Right. It was part of the backdrop. So it wasn't actually until I moved to New York City that I thought, oh, wow, that actually was super important to me yeah. and um, made you know my life that much richer and greater. Um, so when I moved to New York City, uh, I tried to fill my own apartment with houseplants. And I had a terrible experience because at that time, really the only resource for me was like a Home Depot on right. 23rd Street. Yeah. And then I killed everything. Yeah. So because like at that point you didn't did you have like the education around how to take care of plants or was it just something that you're just like, I think I need this here. Just going to put it. Yeah. I mean, I just did not really understand what it meant to take care of plants. And I think having watched my mother um, over the years, I just assumed that it was something you inherently knew how to do until I was then faced with the challenge of having to do it myself. Um, you kind of have these preconceived notions of like, okay, plants like light and they need water, but how much light and how much water, um, that I never knew. Right. And so, you know, you graduate from NYU in 2007, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And at that point, you decide that you're going to stay here. You're not moving back to Massachusetts. Right. You're going to lay your roots down in New York. And then um, while you were interning as a brand strategist, the idea of the sill kind of came to mind yes. as you were interning. But it wasn't until a few years later that you actually start that you launched the Kickstarter Correct. to like tell the world about what you wanted to put out. And yeah. I'm curious to know what happened in between the time that you conceived the idea 
And then when you shared it with the world, like what were you feeling during those years Mm -hmm. and what steps did you take along the way to get you closer to actually making it happen? So you're absolutely right. The idea for a plant company, I'll say, in the most generic terms, came to me when I was still an intern. So I was probably 20, 21 years old. Um, I was working in brand strategy, and that was part of the reason why it occurred to me that there had never been a brand in this category, because I was thinking about brand every day, mm-hmm. day in, day out. I was, I had the... Um, uh, opportunity to work for this agency, which allowed me to see brand from, you know, B to C, B to B, um, small brands, big brands, um, you know, sexy brands Mm -hmm. and really kind of stale, stodgy brands that needed to be remade. So I'm being inundated with sort of in this world of brand and, um, and simultaneously going through this experience of moving into my first apartment and having this terrible experience. Mm -hmm. So it was very easy for me at that point to connect the dots to say, there's no plant brand and why is that? Um, And it got me really excited. Um, So I actually have business plans that I created from back in 2007 um, that weren't called The Sill, but was sort of a houseplant brand and like, what would that look like? And I was able to come up with sort of the look, feel and tonality of a company that I knew that I could believe in um, with some of the rationale. But I, at the end of the day, had no real qualifications for launching a company. I didn't know how to operationalize the idea. Um, And that really speaks to the experience that I had at that point, because as a consultant, you kind of come up with really great ideas that you feed into your feed to your clients, but the clients are the ones who are operationalizing it. Right. So um, I was fortunate enough, actually, to have the opportunity presented to me by one of my clients to join sort of, as they say, client side and join a company. Um, And in fact, I did move back to Massachusetts for a brief moment in time. Okay. So when I was um, 22, I joined a company called Living Proof. It's a hair care company. Um, They were a startup, which most people don't really recognize, but they were founded and incubated by... um, a venture group out of Cambridge, Massachusetts, and I joined as their first marketing hire. So I then spent four years learning exactly how to build and run a business. Mm, and so it, it was like you were learning how to build your own in the meantime. Mm-hmm. So throughout those years, it's interesting because I would kind of come back to this idea thinking, you know, someone else will do this. Like, this is such a great idea. This will get done. Um, and after four years time, I still felt like, well, that's interesting. Nobody has done this yet. I just assumed that it was going to happen because we were starting to see macro trends that would lend themselves to a successful plant company. Um, But at the same time, nobody was actually doing it or doing it well. We had seen like some companies sort of like dabble in it. You know, um, Urban Outfitters has their brand Terrain and Williams-Sonoma at the time launched a brand called Agrarian, but it wasn't what my vision was. And I thought, of course, well, my vision is better than some of these other things out on the market. So finally, when I felt like I was graduating from my experience at Living Proof, the real question was what to do next. Um, And ultimately, I returned to the idea and thought, well, you know, now I might have the tools in my toolbox to create a proper business plan. So I sort of set out to do just that and created a business plan, um, moved back to the city and then did that Kickstarter, which effectively launched the sale. So, so at what point in your job while you were working at Living Proof, were Mm -hmm. you just like, 
it's time because you know there's still that yeah. feeling of like you're noticing that people aren't actually doing the thing that you have in yeah. mind so then at some point it starts to click like okay the wavelength that i thought everybody would be on at this point is not actually happening which must mean that it's me i think i'm the person that's supposed yeah. to like birth this yeah. this business so at what point did you say all right i'm quitting my job mm-hmm. and i'm gonna go back to new york city and i'm gonna make this a thing yeah so i had come to the realization that I was ready to leave Living Proof probably four to six months prior to actually leaving, which I feel like is pretty natural. Yeah. So um, let's call that maybe like September of 2011. So then once I had come to the realization that I was probably going to be leaving soon, and that was just a natural progression of like me and my career of like, I think I've learned a lot here and I also am ready to move back to New York. Um, I gave myself the challenge of if I can write a business plan that I feel confident about by Thanksgiving, I'm going to quit my job. And I work really well with deadlines. Mm -hmm. So Thanksgiving came around and I had a business plan. Um, At that point, I effectively tried to quit my job. And I just said, I want to move back to New York and I'm ready to move on. Um, At that time, I think Living Proof was going through a transition. My boss wasn't ready to lose me as just like a warm body on the team. So she convinced me to work remotely from New York. So I still got to move back to New York. And that lasted, I think, until February of 2012. So maybe another eight weeks. Okay. Um, All the while, I was spending nights and weekends continuing to sort of craft the story of the sill. Right. Because the thing is, I think oftentimes people just think that it's like from point A to point B, but it's like, what were your days looking like? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, like you're you're in your early 20s, everybody's going out, everybody's going to bars, everybody's going to parties. It's the summer. And here you are. (laughs) Exactly. What does that look like? Because I don't think that story gets talked about enough yeah I mean it's a sacrifice right so there was a lot of things going on in my head like the first um quite literally was like how do I stockpile cash so that when I quit I can do this other thing right um I was also thinking about who can I consult for Mm -hmm. and am I even sort of eligible to consult right because it's I'm 26 years old do people hire 26 year old consultants like what am I really truly qualified for right so I'm thinking through that strategy and the same time then again, like ending my work with Living Proof at six o'clock at night and then immediately transitioning into my own, you know, work with the sill um, and doing sort of like late nights and weekends, as I mentioned. Um, So the sacrifice there is understanding that it's never going to be a clean break Mm -hmm. and you have to effectively get more work out of the 24 hours in the day that everyone else can. Yeah. Oh, you're speaking to my soul. Mm-hmm. You really are. Cause that's what I do. It's like, I have like my, you know, my compliance job, my audience knows that I have a nine to five and then I have to immediately switch my brain into like this creative mode yeah. and trying to, which is challenging. It's so challenging. Yeah. How did you do that? Like, was there a ritual that you had before, like you started working on your own project or were you able to just turn the switch on? Honestly, I think I was just so excited by it that you know, and oftentimes when people say like, how do you know when to just like make the leap? And I describe the sensation of, I could not not do it. Like I just had so much energy for it that even the fact of like staying up late or doing it on the weekends and like not taking breaks, like that was 
motivating. I was like, just the pure notion of like, I have to do this was so motivating. And then I finally did it because I couldn't not do it. Right. And then the more you worked on it, the more excited you got because the more clarified the whole vision was. And when you talk to your like friends and family and people around you about this idea Mm -hmm. to start this company that (laughs) delivers plans and you know, you didn't really have a, you know, company to point out that you could say it's going to be like this. Yeah. What were their reactions like? I think people were nice. Um, (laughs) Like I can remember telling some friends and I can still see their face in my head uh, of them trying to be nice uh, where, you know, it's very clear that they're like, okay, that that's good for you. You're going to quit your job and do this. And and you're going to start this plant company. Cute. Like, (laughs) I, I'm going to just like be supportive because I'm your friend. Right. Um, and meanwhile, they'll have like, you know, they're climbing the corporate ladder exactly. or doing all these other things. I mean, my parents are both sort of in the medical field and, you know, my mother was a nurse, a career nurse. Like she had the same job and, you know, was had a steady stream of income and just did her job for 30 plus years. So this idea that I was going to go do this other thing that was radically different, very risky and wasn't a sure thing was like crazy to her. So I would say I had the best network of super supportive people around me who were willing to just accept the fact that like I was going to go do this thing and maybe fail terribly at it. And how did you find those people? Because most of the people listening are ages like 22 to 35. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And within this range, a lot of people are going through this motion of mm-hmm. like, what am I doing with my life? What mm-hmm. am I doing after college? What do I love to do? Mm-hmm. And so many people, including myself, honestly, we value the opinion that like yeah. our friends have, especially mm-hmm. as we're all trying to figure it out together. Mm-hmm. But this story in particular, when you have this idea and you're trying to build something and nobody can get in your mind, like you're the one mm-hmm. who has this vision. And when you try to explain it to people, if they don't fully get it. Sometimes it can make you feel like you're crazy. Like, is yeah. this actually, is this reasonable or is this crazy? Yeah. How did you find people that would, that would have, that could affirm that you were actually onto something and weren't, you know, talking mm-hmm. you out of it and trying to convince you to get back into, you yeah. know, your career. Yeah. I think, well, interestingly, I mean, in retrospect, right? Because I don't know that I could figure this out at, in the moment, but I think 26 is sort of like a turning point in your life where you do feel like I can edit people out. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a point in time where you realize that you don't have to be friends with everyone. You don't need validation from everyone. And you start knitting together this tighter circle of people who are actually meaningful to you. Yeah. Now, I was lucky because I've always had really supportive family. And so I can sort of start there and yeah. point to that as like my, you know, closest circle of like, I actually don't need anyone if I have my family who has my back. Um, And then I think, you know, your question about my childhood is interesting because also I think in retrospect, because I kind of never fit the mold growing up, I think it made me just more comfortable with being different. Yeah, that's a really good point. Hmm. Yeah. That's that's very interesting. I was always a little different. Uh-huh. So it was just like, <laughs> so oh, I'm just going to continue just being who I am. Also going to be. And then, of yeah. course, New York is the place to be different. So yeah. once you then like land in the place where you feel most comfortable being yourself, then nothing can get in your way. Right. And so when you came back to New York, you had the idea that you were coming back to like actually execute on this. So did you mm-hmm. find yourself talking about it way more and being open about it? Or was that something that you were sharing openly for the for the years before the, you know, you actually came back. Um, I had, so I remember when I first had the initial idea 
I shopped it around to people and I remember sharing it with my brother and having these conversations. Um, and also, um, I met my husband really early. So I started dating my now husband when I was 21. Mm -hmm. So we've been together for 12 years, awesome. which is also, you know, I can attribute some of my success to just having a really strong partnership. Yeah. So, but uh, over the course of like the four plus years that I was at Living Proof, I didn't really talk about it much. But then, yeah, it was like a coming out party. It's like, here it is. This is what yeah. I'm doing. This is what I'm thinking about. And I'm going to tell everyone I know, because in part, I felt like if I could convince the people who um, love me the most that this is a good idea, that's like some of the credibility and the rationale that I needed to actually get started. Exactly. Because if you don't talk about it, it's almost like you don't believe it enough. Oh, totally. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's like you're breathing life into it, essentially. Exactly. Hmm. That makes me wonder, because I think that that I'm sure also helped with the networking aspect of it, of like, mm -hmm. okay, you tell people and like, they'll tell somebody. And do you think that in any way that impacted how quickly you were able to grow? Because you more people knew about it and they were able to like point you in the right direction? Um, yes. I mean, I think that's absolutely the case. I think, you know, for me, because it was also, I was so new to the industry, I knew I needed that network. Right. So when I knew that I was going to start this business, the first thing I did was actually hop on a plane down to Florida and went to this big trade show for tropical plants um, in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. And it was at the Fort Lauderdale Convention Center. It was before the sale existed. I had these business cards made up by a friend of mine that just said, you know, coming soon. And I went and I walked the floor for like the, you know, from the start of the convention to the end and talked to every single person. By yourself? By myself. Yes. I had no idea what I was doing. I stayed like in an airport hotel. Um, I paid out of pocket, right? Because yeah. like the business didn't even exist yet. Right, right. And I just started talking to everybody and I tried to learn as much as I could and tried to sort of like test my pitch with all of these different vendors and everyone thought I was crazy. Um, really? Because they're like plants online. Like here's my fax, fax number, like fax me your order. <laughs> you know, it was a very, and it was clear to me that it was a, a very antiquated industry as right, well. Right. Um, but I think that only motivated me more. It just gave me more proof that like I'm onto something because nobody is thinking about this yet. Right. Oh, that's, and that's what makes you so special because it's like most people would go, would like get themselves there and be like, oh, everybody's telling me this is just too yeah. crazy. Yeah. I guess I'm not supposed to do it. And you're just like, no, this is actually proof that I need to overhaul all of this. Yeah. Well, I like a good challenge, right? So like, I think I just have that mindset where I love, I like the idea of proving people wrong. Mm. So yeah. You I can like um, ask my husband about that. <laughs> he knows. He knows. I like to be right. Okay. So it was like a personal mission on top yeah. of the fact you believed it. It's like, none of you are going to tell me later yeah. that I was wrong. Yeah. Um, you know, when I think about one of the steps that it takes to actually, you know, put things out into the world. Oftentimes people blame their network. People mm -hmm. will say like, I don't, I just don't like know the people. I don't know the right people. This is reserved to the people who have the connections inside. Yeah. But you literally prove that that's not necessary. Um, like if you could give any advice to mm -hmm. anybody listening right now who has this idea to essentially change something in an industry that they're not necessarily completely tied to, mm -hmm. but know that they can change. Mm -hmm. What would you say? I mean, I think it's um, a combination of educating yourself yeah. um, and being fearless. I mean, you, especially now, can literally get to anyone. 
Like that is the benefit of technology and the networks that we're now all plugged into is like you can access people who maybe, uh, you know, a decade ago you would have never been able to access. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think coupled with knowing, you know, educating yourself and then knowing what you're asking for, those are all the things that make for a successful connection because you can't connect to someone and then not know what you're talking about or not know what you're asking for. So but you can earn the respect of someone by reaching out and having all of that information readily available. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's very true. I'm sure you get questions all the time. We're just like, you didn't come correct. <laughs> Can't help you yet yeah. because you don't know what you're asking yeah. me. Yeah, and that was a really early lesson. Like one of the things that I did, you know, in the first year was I sent a plant to Mickey Drexler at J. Crew, and he was the CEO at the time. And he called me because I put my business card in it. And like on my cell phone and said, hey, it's Mickey. You sent me a plant. And I I was totally floored. I was like literally speechless. (laughs) And then he's like, so how can I help you? And I did not have an answer. And I fumbled my way through the conversation eventually. um, And I ended up getting an introduction to like a brand partnership person on his team. But I look back at that as being such a good lesson of like Mm -hmm. always knowing what you need to ask for, like always knowing before you have the opportunity. Because they say like a lot of your success is luck and timing and being prepared. And like it's not just about luck, it's being prepared for to be lucky. And so you have to be prepared. Yeah. Ooh, that's a really cool story. Yeah. It's a really cool story. At the time you were just like, I'm just going to send this plan and see what happens. I mean, you were probably not expecting a call. I wasn't expecting anything. And that certainly not like a personal phone call in the middle of the day with no sort of like heads up and then being asked that question. It's like, well, how can I help? And I didn't have an answer. Yeah. You were prepared every single time after that. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. So in 2018, the still raised 5 million in VC funding. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. That's awesome. So as the CEO and the founder of this company, mm-hmm. at what point did you know that it was time to expand mm-hmm. and take up more space in this industry? Mm-hmm. Um, was it something intuitive or was it something where people were coming to you and saying, like, we want to partner, we want to make this bigger? I would say my the size of my ambition has always been big, right? So uh, it, it's not that um, something changed along the way. It's that I think we were able to achieve what they call product market fit, where you, which is sort of measured in a number of ways. It's, you know, do people love what you're doing? Does it resonate? Are people coming back to buy after they buy the first time? Are you reaching a certain revenue run rate, essentially? So there are some like key metrics that you can just check off to say like, okay, I think I'm on to something. Um, And for me, it was important to also check those boxes because that's part of like being prepared to have the conversations that you need to have. So, you know, I was able to reach out to investors and have meaningful conversations because I had achieved certain metrics that I knew would be important to them. But that being said, I knew that was the direction I was always going in. Got it. So you had your eye on the prize. Mm -hmm. It was okay. That's really interesting. Um, Because I I mean, oftentimes we think that these companies that get VC funding, it's like, wow, like it's this amorphous thing that you just can't imagine your business being affiliated Mm -hmm. with. Right. Mm -hmm. And so here you are. I mean, we hear your story. We know where it all comes from. And then you get $5 million to make it bigger and to make it everything that you've wanted it to be. And this could just be the first round. Like you never know. Like, and I'm sure that's exactly where your mind is going. Um, 
so yeah, like it's just, it's just really interesting to think about it like that, because I think oftentimes we see these companies online, we see these articles, we see everything written up and we don't think that it is attainable Mm -hmm. as like, you know, founders or people who are like, it's still in the very early stages. It just doesn't seem like that can be us. Right. Yeah. I mean, again, that's comes down to like doing your homework, understanding what, what and how does something like venture work? Yeah. Am I a candidate? Do I want to be a candidate? Is it the right fit for me? And if so, like, what do I need to show or demonstrate in order to be, you know, considered? Right. Um, so there was a time where plants were like seemingly reserved for older people. Oh, <laughs> most of history. Yes. But there seems to have now been a shift because millennials account for one third of houseplant sales in mm-hmm. America. What changed? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, our life has changed. It's, you know, you know, in the past 10 years alone, I would say what our life looks like has changed dramatically. So that has, in effect, changed sort of the value system, I think, of this generation. Like, one, technology has just sped everything up. Um, not only do we have access to everything in real time, but we also have this like constant anxiety of being connected um, in real time. Yeah. Um, I think it's this underlying, I think it's a lot of macro trends. I think it's urbanization, right? So like we're living in cities away from nature. We're spending more time indoors. We're spending more time in front of screens. Um, we're comparing ourselves to our peer groups in ways that are just unhealthy. Um, and we feel generally less uh, satisfied because of our like access to everything. Um, I think for all those reasons, the SIL has sort of tapped into um, a positioning that's allowed us to say, you know, hey, can plants actually be part of the solution? You know, is this something that allows us to reconnect, to ground ourselves, to take pause? Um, and that was not really the purpose of plants for our grandmothers, or our mothers. Right. So it's a new way to think about plants or gardening or being a plant person. I mean, in fact, we typically say that our customers don't identify with being gardeners because they're not. Right. Um, but plants just fit into their life in a way that n- was never possible or never needed before. Mm-hmm. And in a previous interview, you said that the SIL is essentially trying to reinvent what it means to be a plant person in 2018 mm-hmm. under the age of 40. And I mean, you, you briefly touched on it, but like looking at it from a, ma- a macro level, what about the SIL do you think makes it so appealing to people mm-hmm. under 40 yeah. in particular? Well, because I think we speak their language. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I think about gardening um, before the SIL, honestly, I thought about Martha Stewart. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I mean... I don't really identify with Martha Stewart. Most people don't. I think some people can aspire to be her, but I think our generation also is looking for um, someone that they see themselves in. And I think the sill is much more democratic in the sense that there isn't, you know, I'm not the face of the sill. And I think that's really important. Um, And you can see, you know, whether it's through um, our team or our shopkeepers or our customers, the diversity of our customer base enables millennials to see themselves in our company and in our brand and you know our motto plants make people happy you know we're a plant brand but people is just as much in that statement as plants are right um and happy being the most important of it all because you know that's really what we're trying to deliver on plants being sort of the vehicle for it but like we're really in the business of delivering on this feeling Mm, i love that i love that so much and it's something that i think is so 
nuance and it's so it's happening in real time like mm-hmm. this isn't this isn't something that you were able to like look back at 20 years like 20 years in the past and be like oh like based on that data this is what's going to happen like this is just something that has really just um an offshoot of everything that's happening in our society at yeah. the same time so yeah. it's almost like you are just trying to provide a solution as the problem is showing itself right Absolutely. now and that's so interesting and i definitely have sensed that change within myself like i've never been a plant person yeah my grandma always had the green thumb like you know we're from the islands and i come and i moved to new york city i have the same feeling that you have mm-hmm. I, I lived in miami all my life and i'm like where are all the trees? What is winter? Right. Like, why do I feel so sad? And it's because I literally haven't seen a patch of grass since a few months ago. Right. It's been a while. (laughs) It's been a while. And then all of a sudden I'm like, well, like maybe I'll get a plant. And then I realized I want more plants and more plants. And then I recently thought about what is it doing to me? Why, why do I feel like I need more of this in my space? And it truly is because you feel like something needs you yeah right i need some i need to go home and water my plant and then also just feeling like you're coming into a more wholesome space that mm-hmm. isn't like missing like a groundedness essentially mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. in new york when you just want to get home and feel like you can like take a deep breath and you don't want your air to be all like, yeah full of crap and stuff yeah um so i want to jump into some rapid fire questions sure. with you to wrap up absolutely um what is your favorite time of the day to create morning noon or night um night night I'm like a big second wind person Mm. I uh, am tired in the morning um I am okay in the afternoon but in fact I'd probably do the most and the best work after I get home at night okay what is your favorite houseplant the philodendron the basic one um not even like a fancy hybrid uh because it's easy to take care of and it grows really quickly Mm. okay good and um does it require like a lot of sun or like Mm-mm. moderate no. no i can like bring it back from the brink of death like over and over <laughs> and over and over again perfect that's what i need yeah. i need to get that one um what is one book movie or podcast that has deeply impacted your life oh that's a great question um you're testing my brain on this one we can come back to it if you want not very rapid fire. <laughs> Honestly, the book that I'm reading right now is called Eat, Sleep, Poop because I have a baby and like that's the most important book in my life right now. That's that's practical. That's real. <laughs> that's real talk right there. Yes, that's what we want. Um, what is your favorite app? Instagram. Yeah. Do you manage the Sills Instagram? Um, I've dipped in and out of managing the sales Instagram, uh, because it's beautiful. Thank you. Uh, right now it's uh, a team effort. Um, so in fact I am managing two days a week, but we are hiring a social media manager so you can send any of your listeners our way to apply. Ooh, that's good to know. Yeah. I'm sure a few will actually go and send out apps. Um, what is your favorite self-care routine? Especially now that you're a new mom. Uh, now that I'm a new mom, um, showering <laughs> is super awesome. I love being able to shower. <laughs> I've actually already graduated to the point where I can like shower and keep the door closed. Wow. Because um, I'm not listening for a crying baby. Yes. And moms will totally appreciate that. Yes. Uh, I will extend the length of my shower as much as possible now. Um <laughs> Yeah, quite honestly, that's like the best thing I got going for me. (laughs) Hey, if that works for you and that makes you feel better, then yes. And obviously showers are so necessary. (laughs) Um, If there was one message that you could get out to the world, what would it be? Be bold. Be bold. Yeah, and you're living that. Yeah. You're living that. If um, 
my followers want to, well, if my listeners want to uh, keep up with what you're doing mm-hmm. and keep up with the sill, where mm-hmm. can they find you all online? Um, definitely follow our Instagram, whether it's at the sill or feel free to follow me if you like baby pictures, which <laughs> is at Eliza Blank. Uh, the sill.com 24 7, of course. And we also have three stores now two in Manhattan and one in LA. Yes, amazing. Thank you so very much for this amazing Thank conversation. You. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you so much. I hope you all enjoyed that episode. Eliza is CEO Coles and left me feeling capable of doing just about anything. Know that I am sending you lots of love, light, and good vibes. Thank you for tuning in. We will chat next week. <laughs>